You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. If we write, our best friends might just be those who write against us. Luther and Erasmus, both formidable thinkers, derive at least part of their well-earned place in the church's memory because of their fierce struggle over the freedom or the bondage of the will. Friedrich Nietzsche, whose reputation in philosophical circles was in no danger, nonetheless gains a different sort of place precisely in the Christian curriculum because Alistair McIntyre and John Milbank and David Bentley Hart have dedicated so many words to countering his work. And Stanley Hauerwas, who made his own name offering a strong rhetorical alternative to Protestant liberalism over the years, no doubt will have Dr. Nicholas Healy to thank for his recent book, Hauerwas, A Very Critical Introduction, a volume that encourages readers to revisit the Duke theologian's books precisely to evaluate where truth lies and where it might next unfold if we take what's best in Hauerwas and seek to do better what his books don't yet do well. As we begin to talk about just such things, Christian Humanist Profiles welcomes Nicholas Healy to the show. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Healy. Oh, you're very welcome. Good to be here. Well, one thing I really enjoy uh, about the whole premise of the book is that it's part of this intervention series that Erdman's puts out. Before we get too far into the particulars of your argument, tell our listeners a little bit about the intervention series and what that group of books is after. Um, I guess the the main idea is to um, to challenge theologians who are very well known uh, by a very, as it says, a very critical um, introduction to their work. Um, there have been a number of um, uh, books come out now. Um, one of the best ones, I think, is that of Karen Kilby on Hans Hurst von Balthasar, who takes him to task for, for many reasons and has received a lot of uh, um, uh, positive as well as negative uh, response from it. And others include Marcus Pound on uh, Zizek and somebody done something on Heidegger and so on. I think uh, my book is the only one that um, is on somebody who is still alive. So um, that adds some extra uh, problems and also perhaps opportunities mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. that. Well, very good. Uh, I'm actually in the middle of reading the Heidegger volume right now by S.J. McGrath, and uh, as you said, I mean, this whole series is about offering a robust theological response to some very prominent thinkers, and I've I've really enjoyed both of these volumes that I've taken on so far. Good. Well, you characterize Stanley Hauerwas's work as a social ethic project uh, with the church as its focus. So say a few words to our listeners about how this makes his project distinctive, how it differs from from some other theological approaches that our listeners might recognize. Well, Stanley Howard has been in uh, fairly constant uh, dialogue with Karl Barth over the years, as as everybody probably knows. And um, Barth's uh, way of uh, talking about theology in the church is is really quite different from from Howard's, as I think... Uh, both would agree, uh, Hawass uh, tends to focus on the church as kind of the center from which everything else radiates, whereas for Bart, of course, it's Jesus Christ. And there's a, a good case for, for either way of doing things, And uh, uh, but I think that Bart would, uh, would obviously prefer his, and I think Stanley has made some very good objections to some of the things that Bart has said, uh, as a result of his particular way of doing things. And so my, my kind of concern was to try to uh, to see if there were things that someone like Bart or, or some other people too would have said again uh, to, to try to modify some of the things that uh, Howard has done. Well, yeah, I, I, I like that uh, conversation with Bart that you highlight. I mean, certainly in the, the last 10 years or so of Howard Wass's books, I'm thinking the uh, with the grain of the universe, and uh, trying to think of some others recently, uh, but he does seem to summon Bart as a conversation partner, and it's interesting that you know you see a strong distinction or departure there, whereas Hauerwas, at least recently, seems to want to claim Bart as a sort of intellectual forerunner. 
Yes, I, well, in some ways, of course, he is, and uh, it just depends on which part of the the, the whole theological complex you're, you're dealing with in, in either theologian. Um, certainly, uh, Hawass is, is very much focused, of course, and rightly so, on Jesus Christ, uh, but it's Jesus Christ as, as known uh, through the Church. Now, of course, Bart wouldn't disagree with that, but for Bart, it's, it's Jesus Christ known through the Bible as read by the Church. Mm, and of course, Stanley, okay. again, wouldn't disagree with that either, so it, it goes back and forth. But there is a, there is a, when it comes down to unpacking it all, I think there is a, a fairly considerable dis- uh, difference um, that puts Stanley uh, on the side closer, as I suggested, to Schleiermacher, with whom Bart, again, had a kind of, um, uh, not a love-hate relationship, but, but something close to it, uh, if mm-hmm. that's possible for theologians. Right. Well, I, I I think that comparison with Schleiermacher really is the core of your criticism as I read it. And mm-hmm. I'll admit that I was a little bit skeptical when you first proposed that connection. That seems like the two thinkers that are about as far away as you, as you could imagine. But as you developed it, I had to grant that the pairing does lead to some interesting questions about Harawas's work. So if you would, tell our listeners a little bit about that common ground that you map out between Schleiermacher and Harawas. Yes, um, with with Karl Barth, for example, um, the, the 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 focus uh, of his ecclesiology, as I said, on Jesus Christ, and uh, throughout Volume Four, the the dogmatics, that's what that's what begins everything, and the Church is kind of uh, a consequence of all of that. Um, with with Hawass and with Schleiermacher, it's it's the church is the beginning, as I said, and from which you you get to know God and and, and these these things are perfectly reasonable things to say. The the relation between the two is mostly formal. That is, uh, they might disagree materially quite a lot, um, but one of the key elements is that um, uh, both construe the church in terms of, or unpack the, the idea of the church in terms of the of a social philosophy, rather than directly, as Bart would say, from um, the idea of the church as the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So uh, Schleiermacher has his understanding of the church, which he draw, draws from what he calls ethics, which is essentially um, a social philosophy. And uh, so we we have the idea of a community first, and then the church becomes a particular version of that community. And in in many ways, I think, uh, Hawass does something similar. That is, he has an idea of a community, which he he tends to draw from mostly from Alistair McIntyre, an idea of a tradition, say. And uh, from there, he, he will then go on to say that Christianity is a particular version of this kind of tradition of inquiry or community. And that move is, is one which then begins to put the basis of everything upon a social philosophy rather than upon a theological account of the church. Now, you could go from there, of course, to then go on to say that uh, uh, this is just a way of unpacking things, and uh, we'll get to the, uh, the, the real hub of the matter in a moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't find it I mean, there is some move in that direction in, in Hawass, but I don't find it sufficient. So in that, I think it's somewhat like Schleiermacher. If you recall, that Schleiermacher uh, went from there to a, a, and this is the main difference between him and, and Hawass, but it's a kind of reverse difference. Schleiermacher grounded the church essentially as the community of those people who are aware of the absolute feeling of, depe- feeling of absolute dependence. Mm-hmm. Uh, a kind of an interior thing that everybody has. And so it's it's based on this idea of the religious person, the homo religiosus. Uh, whereas, and so it's very internal. Mm-hmm. And that gets exteriorized or expressed through the help of the church, which brings that interior moment out of each person and, draw, and makes them more Christian and therefore better people. In some ways, well, Howard, of course, does not do that. He does not recognize an interior moment. Uh, he, of course, has been... Um, uh, like like most of us has been through Wittgenstein and and, and other people that um, would would undermine any notion of that it would link it I think to uh, a private language. 
but uh, there is that. So there's the reverse of that, and that is that the the instead of the interior moment, we have the exterior moment. That is, that is, we are only really fully people as we are in community. Community makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. And and so we join a particular community to be made into a particular kind of person. And so we join the church to be made into Christians. Um, and that's, I think, the, the kind of key uh, link between the two. From, uh, do you want me to stop? <laughs> no, uh, go ahead, go ahead. You're doing great. Okay, yeah, just, just one more point. Uh, from there you get to to deal with the actual theology. And, of course, Schleiermacher then... Uh, tends to um, uh, use as a as a uh, critical tool this this feeling of absolute um, dependence and mm. begins to rule out things like the doctrine of the Trinity or make him very sec- make it very secondary. Howard doesn't do anything like that, but he does tend to rule out. Well, not not so much rule out. That's a bit unfair. He doesn't develop, uh, to my mind anyway, sufficiently. Uh, an idea of the interiority of the individual Christian and the interior, the the relation to Jesus Christ in the interior of the the individual Christian. It certainly is something that I think there are elements within his work that would would uh, would be the basis of of, of something like that, but it, they're not developed. Well, it's interesting because one of the places I see your criticism there playing out is when Hauerwas. Uh, and I'm going to use your phrases rather than his, uh, talks about Christianity as a sort of univocal category rather than making a distinction between what you call unsatisfactory Christians on one hand and good Christians on the other. Uh, it, it seems that you know, part of your criticism there is that uh, he treats Christianity as all being saints, I mean, to use a, a theological term, uh, without any notion that Christians could be well, again, to return to your phrase, unsatisfactory Christians, what sorts of things do we leave out when we theorize about the church when we don't make that distinction? Um, yeah, I think that that's great. And that brings me to the, the other point, I think, that, that my concern has been, as I think it's in one of the last chapters, that that Hawass doesn't quite sufficiently develop the doctrine of grace, mm-hmm. uh, wh- wh- however you want to put it. I mean, that's... Uh, but. Grace is the idea, of course, that God is working within the church. And primarily, grace is prevenient in the sense that Jesus died for us once and for all and sufficiently for our sins. And so it would seem then that one could be an unsatisfactory Christian and still have a a good relationship to God because it's not we who bring about the relationship to God primarily. It's God who brings about the relationship. Mm -hmm. So... um, uh, yeah, and so that the, the, there is there is an element of that in, but it's it's sort of hidden away and and mostly implicit, at least as I as I read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so uh, yeah, uh, it's it's as if that um, everybody then is uh, to the extent that they're formed by the by their congregation or their church. Um, that's the that's the only way to have a relationship to God. And it seems to me that, that Stanley's own practice is very different because he has, he's not formed by his churches. Um, he's formed by the church, uh, and mm-hmm. he's formed by his own thinking and his, his, um, his relationships with other theologians and, and friends and so on, and all the reading he does. And... Uh, this has led him to be critical of the church, uh, and will be criti- And he's been critical of a number of um, congregations he's been a member of, while admiring them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is something that I think is is available to all Christians uh, in their own particular way. Mm-hmm. Well, that that uh, tension between the criticism of American <laughs> Protestantism at large, but then the praise for, you know, some of the particular congregations he's been a part of. That's a, that's another facet of his work that you take on in your book. Uh, if, if you would, take a moment, I mean, what would be an alternative way of narrating that tension between the church being saintly and the church striving for saintliness? Uh, if not using Hauerwas's categories, then what categories might lead us in a more fruitful dire- direction? Yeah, um... Well, I guess uh, speaking um, 
in 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 largely Protestant terms, I I would prefer Bart's approach, mm-hmm. in that um, uh, saintliness is is already given to us. We are already holy because we are well baptized. Uh, I guess that's more Catholic, but uh, mm-hmm. but but we are baptized. We are Christians, and so we have that initial holiness. Of course, that doesn't mean anything about the way we you know we actually behave. Uh, but it does mean that we are um, in a relationship to God that we can be, we, we can trust Him. We have hope from, mm-hmm. um, and this means then that um, we we do not have to worry quite so much. I always think that that's what's wonderful about Bart is that you you can just be a Christian and kind of relax. It's mm-hmm. not that uh, <laughs> you, you obviously don't, and Bart never did, obviously writing all those no. millions of words. <laughs> But but it's it, you can relax in the in in the love of Jesus Christ uh, and knowing that okay you're going to be a sinful person and as Bart says you know sometimes you're well in fact probably much of the time you're not really Christian at all but you are called to be Christian and you do have a personal vocation from from God from Jesus Christ to be a, a Christian and to be a particular kind of Christian you mm-hmm. fail to meet the expectations but that's okay. Well, it's not, of course, but it, it's okay in terms of one's relationship to God. Mm-hmm. I, I would think something along those lines. In other words, we need a, a kind of uh, a third element here uh, besides God and the church. We need the relation between the individual and God, which comes through the church, but mm-hmm. is not um, isomorphic with it. All right. So, you know, if you take the horizon of the ecclesial life and the horizon of the divine grace, what you're suggesting then is that one of the things that gets omitted in Stan Hauerwas's work is sort of a horizon emerging from those two, which is to say the individual subject, for lack of a better phrase, as standing distinct from but still related to the congregation. Yeah, now, now it's there, of course. It, in, mm-hmm. It's certainly there in him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's a splendid example of... of Christian witness uh, that is not um, mere conformism to the to the church, um, uh, and it, it's there in many of the things he says about, particularly about the disabled, and uh, some of the things he says about pacifism and so on. But it's not it's not there in where one expects it. You know, when he's dealing with uh, specifically ecclesiological issues or mm-hmm. doctrines of grace and so on. Well, following up on that ecclesiology matter, uh, one of the moves that I found most fascinating about your book and one that I, I've, I've thought about as I finished reading your book and preparing for this interview is the move that you make towards the end of the book to do an ethnography of a Christian congregation. Um, say a little bit more about that section of the book uh, as a mode of practical theology and what kind of light uh, it sheds on the theology that you're trying to propose as an alternative to Hauerwas's ecclesiology. Yeah, um, I guess I guess one of the reasons for doing that was to try to show that Hauerwas's dependence upon MacIntyre is a dependence upon a social philosophical way of thinking about the church, which in and of itself is inadequate. Besides the the theological inadequacy, which of course Stanley would agree with. Um, but it's it's inadequate. I don't think McIntyre is an adequate under, has an adequate understanding of the way uh, communities work. Um, if one turns to ethnography, ethnography is usually about particular groups, and I, of course I don't mean the old-fashioned kind. I mean the, the kind that uh, there's a lot of uh, people, uh, particularly in Europe, but over here too, who um, who do ethnographies of congregations, and what they find very much is that each congregation is very different. And it's clear that um, some are kind of doing very well and some are not doing very well, and they do so for different reasons. And that um, there's really no one way to to describe uh, the relation between, say, the authority within a congregation and those who are uh, obedient, we might say, to, to the authorities. It, mm-hmm. it varies tremendously, and and it's it's not such a... It, it, ethnography undermines the very notion of um, social formation as the essential aspect of the church, uh, because that's not really what happens if you go into communities. People choose their communities uh, before they uh, they go into them. For example, if if um, um, my mother, for example, uh, 
goes to a particular service at her Anglican church because it suits her, um, and she um, she doesn't like the other one, and because it's it just doesn't fit. It's a, a different kind of people go to the different kinds, and I do the same thing too with my, in the Catholic Church. Um, I pick the right kind of service. We have to choose beforehand, so the formation is already a matter of choice. And in this, it's rather like the Middle Ages, because when you wanted to become a monk, you had to decide what kind of monk you wanted to become. You know, you're going to be a Benedictine or a a Dominican, say. And if you were a Dominican, you'd end up being formed in a different way, but that would already be your choice. And I think that um, the the ethnographic way of uh, approaching the church is not... I mean, in and of itself, it's not any use for theology, but what it does is show the inadequacy of some ways of thinking that contribute to theology, particularly, mm-hmm. the, particularly the idea that um, it's a straightforward um, uh, authority and discipleship way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. I mean, uh, is there a place in that sort of ethnographic mode, or is there a theological move that you can make after that uh, that would account for the phenomenon in which continued long long enduring for lack of a better phrase membership in a community unfolds possibilities that weren't there before but then also in a way makes other possibilities less likely because it seems to me that the ethnographic model as you just described it sort of partakes in this idea that you know everything is the free choice of rational agents that you know liberal economics and so on and so forth tend to put forth. Uh, is there any sort of deepening or complexity of that that an ethnogra- ethnographic approach allows, or is there a theological move that you would make to account for that? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, thank you for that, because it, 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 the worry is, of course, is that we're just going around choosing our congregations, and, you know, this one doesn't please me after a week or two, and so I have to go to the next right. one. Which does yeah. happen sometimes. Oh, it happens a lot. Yeah, uh, one can understand why. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there are lots of reasons. There's a, a really good um, uh, theory of the religious uh, religious emotion that's come out by uh, um, Olis and Woodhead uh, last couple of years ago, and it, it helps to talk about the the place of emotion in, in an emotional regime or program within each community mm-hmm. uh, that that can be off putting or welcoming and so on. Yeah, but the the all I'm trying to do is to 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 agree with with Hawass that we are formed by our churches and that we should let ourselves be formed by our churches. But it's not uh, and and in order and this is so that we can become better disciples. Um, however, that's not the only thing that actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we do make choices. Um, Many of us have, have con- I converted, for example, from Anglicanism to, to Roman Catholicism. There was something about Catholicism. It wasn't that Anglicanism was wrong. It, it's just that um, I found that there was something um, larger in Catholicism. I might have been wrong about that. But it, but it was a choice, and, and it was a choice then to, to join a community that I could more easily um, grow within, and live within and and be be obedient to, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the, so there's a kind of there's both end here. You know, you you you've got to have the the formation, the obedience, and all the things that Stanley rightly talks about. But you've mm-hmm. also got to have the possibility of 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 um, being formed in the way that that is is right for you, if you see what I mean. Recently, the, the Vatican's come out with <clears throat> something, oh gosh, I forget the name, but anyway, um, it's a recent um, encyclical mm-hmm. of Francis, and uh, in there, the, he talks about um, the, um, the fact that many people reject the Church's teaching, mm-hmm. and uh, this is due to the influence of uh, the... Um, the surrounding culture of you know the, the implication is that it's narcissistic and so on, but he also says uh, that it could also be because what the church has said has not been said in such a way that is appropriate for the people who are hearing what is said, or words to that effect. Um, and I think that that's an important admission um, mm-hmm. and something we can build upon. In other words, all I'm saying is that it's both and, and I think that. Hawass is right to do the one side of it, but he 
but he, he could have done a bit more on the other. All right, so he's underplaying one pole of that dialectic then. Is, is that the, the sort of core of that criticism? Yeah, and of course, all theologians do this. You know, you, Stanley's working against subjectivism and all kinds of, and, and Hines oh, sure, working sure. against Schlamacher, and this is, you know, this mm-hmm. is what he had to do. It's just that uh, we can't stay there. That's all I'm thinking. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Well, one, one question your book repeatedly <clears throat> raises is that of genre in Hauerwas's books. And, and I've, I'm a longtime reader of Hauerwas's books, but I realized I hadn't really given that question much thought. Everyone who has read very much Hauerwas at all knows that he doesn't want to present himself as a systematic theologian, but ultimately mm-hmm. what arises as an alternative isn't entirely clear. So at one point in, in this volume, uh, and unfortunately I couldn't find the page number when I was making these notes up, uh, you suggest that the cultural critical essay is the key genre in Hauerwas's corpus. Um, what kinds of good can that genre of writing do and what sort of problems does it leave lying open for a theology? Yeah, what it can do uh, for good is 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 clear just by Hawass's example. I mean, he he is. Uh, I call him, I think, at one point, a churchman. In mm-hmm. some ways, I think like Schleiermacher, but for quite quite different reasons, he's a prince of the church. I mean, there's there's been really nobody who's done anything quite like him since since probably Niebuhr, I guess. Uh, uh, someone who uh, obviously Hawass had some problems with, but it's but the, the he's just uh, it's done wonderfully. Um, so, and I think it's because he's he's found a way to to write uh, in a way that grabs you and is interesting. He'll talk about himself a lot and make mm-hmm. jokes about himself, put himself down, and uh, but yet always find ways of of uh, bringing some good theological point across. Uh, I mean, sometimes of course it doesn't work as well as other times, depending on who the reader is. But uh, mm-hmm. that's fine. So I think this is great stuff. It's very important. At the same time, of course, there are other people who who write very dry and and stolid uh, theology. Who who um, well, thinking for example of Karl Rahner, mm-hmm. who uh, writes uh, wrote very dry essays, and even the titles are dry. Uh, but they and they're very difficult to read. But they're worth pondering. And after a while, and maybe ten years or so, one begins to sort of get their point. Um, and those things are very important too. So somewhere between the two, you get you get someone depending on your taste, someone perhaps like Karl Barth, or or Bonhoeffer or somebody, who is is more readable, but is also doing some some really strong theology. Mm-hmm. They, which is to say that is not to say that Hawass isn't doing strong theology, but it, it's kind of implicit more, I think, some of the time at least. Oh, certainly, and he writes about that in the front matter of a lot of his books, that he is mm-hmm. doing uh, a different sort of language game from the systematic theologian. You know, he's yeah. trying to provoke thought rather than to uh, explicate or delineate thought. Yeah, but it, yes, and that's true. Um, but he tends, I mean, so this you can call it, uh, it's almost sermonic, but it's not really. It's because mm-hmm. uh, sermons are supposed to preach the gospel, and he's what he's doing is trying to challenge you in a way that I don't think normal sermons do. But he's he's trying to uh, to to get you to think, which is really important, of course. Um, and he's trying to shake you up, which is also very important. But at the mm-hmm. same time. In being shaken up, and this is what happened to me, and it's why I, I think I, I, um, I, I wrote on, I wrote on Hawass eventually. Uh, but back in graduate school, as I think I mentioned in the book, I, I read Stanley and um, was all shaken up by him, and I thought, gee, yes. And then, you know, over the years, began to sort of start thinking about it and, and saw that I needed to kind of work some things out that he had not worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and kept reading him, of course, and found that those things were, you know, touched on, but not uh, not sufficiently for someone like me. And um, uh, it's a world different, different kinds of readers, and so I wanted to work that out. Um, and and the reason for voyages to go on, the reason for working it out was, I think, so that doing theology, of course, isn't just you know two individuals arguing with one another. The point is to get uh, other people to to grow from the argument, so that um, you know they can say, well, Hawass says this, and Healy says that. Healy's full of baloney, but on the other hand, he might have a point. In which mm-hmm. case, then you know one begins to move on, maybe on along uh, Hawass's path or not. But uh, it's the way 
theology works, like most things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that you know he presents himself more as a teacher than as a preacher in the front matter of his own book. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I, that, that was definitely something that came across to me in your book is that uh, ultimately, you know, within the church, you have certain roles and, you know, one of them is the systematic theologian who, you know, puts together uh, systems with, you know, the data of revelation. And then you've got the preacher who is an expositor of scripture and you have the the prophet who brings the sort of ecstatic word of God to the people, uh, mm-hmm. and and it's interesting because I mean the as you describe these different modes of uh, God talk, if you will, uh, it made me realize that I hadn't really thought about where Hauerwas fits in there. Let me ask you this: I mean, uh, he's always very quick to mention that he thinks of himself not as an a theological ethicist first and foremost, but as a theolo- theologian simply. Um, but one of the things that you suggest is that, you know, his role might actually be closer to what we call a cultural critic rather than a theologian. Uh, would you, do you imagine that role of cultural critic as a subset of theology or potentially a subset of theology, or do you imagine it as existing in some other kind of relationship to theology as a practice? Ah, that's a... That's a difficult question. I mean, there there are many kinds of ways of doing theology, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that um, cultural critic is is certainly one one of Stanley's major contributions, whether it's, yeah, and it's, of course, based very much upon his theology. um, But because he doesn't do it systematically, at least as I've suggested, Mm -hmm. uh, he does the theology tends to you kind of wonder about what, about what what it really is and the gaps in it as it were and um, like you know, grace and so on but mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that what he's doing is not useful in fact far more than useful um, uh, wonderful and, and necessary but uh, it, it's it's see one of the problems is that um, he calls himself a theologian quite frequently mm-hmm. uh, I'm a theologian he says and and Yes, he is, of course, but uh, does he do theology uh, sufficiently rigorously sometimes, I guess is the question, and, okay. and that's what the book is essentially trying to figure out. If you take him as doing theology rigorously, which, okay, perhaps he isn't, but if you did, then certain problems begin to emerge. Mm-hmm. It, it could be understood as being unfair, but on the other hand, uh, at some point, one has to ask these questions of anyone who is writing about the church and our relationship to God. Mm-hmm. Well, one frequent theme in Howard Wass's essays that I didn't remember your book focusing on much, but you can correct me if I remember wrong, uh, is that he frequently calls for seminary education reform and more generally calls for reform of the American college. Uh, my sense, reading your critique of his sort of romanticizing of peasant Catholicism, as you call it, and that might be a phrase from his books, too, but I didn't oh, remember it. Oh, it is. No, it, it is? Okay. Is. Yeah, very good, thank very you for in the truth. Yep. Uh, but, you know, you say that he has a tendency to underplay the mental in Christian practice. So I guess my question is, I mean, do you see his critique of the American college as a sort of indirect approach to that question of the mental in Christian practice, or do you see it as engaging an entirely different set of questions? I think it's mostly the, the latter. I think uh, it's a function of his concern to uh, note the difference that Christianity makes. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to a liberal arts college and you, you uh, make liberal arts the big thing, um, you might think that liberal arts and Christianity are pretty much the same, really. And he's trying very hard to, to uh, make sure that one doesn't uh, fall into that trap. And um, and also there's the you know, that's the, the sort of mild version of it. But then of course within um, uh, the universities one has a fairly strong anti-religious and anti-Christian way of thinking, and, and not necessarily personally, but within the disciplines as such. So mm-hmm. that um, and even in ethnography, for example, there's a bit of an argument between regular ethnographers and those people who do ethnography as theologians and whether, you know, they're 
how to relate the two, that kind of thing. So I think it's mostly, I think it's mostly how I was trying to remind us that um, that being a Christian is a different thing from being an ordinary person uh, mm-hmm. or an American, and uh, I think he's right to do that. The, the mental in the practice uh, business, I think, was the distinction between uh, McIntyre's understanding of practices and the one the um, definition that I borrowed from David Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, I was trying to suggest that it's it, it, it's not adequate to simply uh, be formed by the church's practices because you have to have some sense of what they mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that sounds like mentalism in the sense of of, you know, you learn what they mean first, and then you go do them, rather like the old catechism, you learn what the Eucharist is, and then you actually go and have it, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, how us points out quite rightly, yeah, that's wrong. Um, you learn it as you do it. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is there is a concept always associated with the practice, and I don't think he brings that out quite enough. Okay. So you, there's, there's both, both and. It's, it's not a function, focus on practices as such, that's insufficient, is all I was trying to say. Okay. So it's another mo- one of those moments where you want to have a more robust dialectic then, where yeah. uh, theory and practice are informing each other and shaping each other as part of the same intelligible process. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. I just thought we, uh, I think Stanley would be very concerned about the notion of theory and practice, and as I would be, the idea that, that there's a theory then that is then put into practice, both of us would agree would be a mistake. There's the practices mm-hmm. first, and then one theorizes about them as one goes along. Mm-hmm. But the theory is kind of the secondary thing. The practices are there already. Uh, and I agree with him on that. It's just that uh, the the practices do have to be theorized or, or theoretically um, examined. All right, see, all right. See the distinction? Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I think I see that. Um, well, uh, one of my, my fellow podcast hosts on the, the Christian Humanist Podcast, Michael Farmer, uh, teaches modern American literature mainly and does his research there. I do mainly ancient and medieval literature. And one of the things I often uh, accuse him of in jest is that uh, he often talks about Virgil's Aeneid as if it's a defective realist novel. Uh, and the the reason that I bring that up is that one of the senses that I got as, you re- as I read your critique of Harawas, and I liked a lot of what I read, is that you were treating him as a defective systematic theologian. Yeah. Uh, since in his own books he denies attempting to even be one in the first place, uh, I guess calm my anxiety here that you are criticizing something that isn't really there in his books. I mean, why is it that you go after him in terms of systematic theology when Hauerwas himself says, that's not what I'm doing? Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I, what I try to do is, uh, in the book is, is basically say that, well, yes, certainly Stanley isn't a, a systematic theologian, and that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. However, at some point, someone who is interested in the the logic of his theology, which undergirds or is is uh, is a product of either way, a product of what he says, that has to be examined in some way. So I was approaching it as a systematic theologian. I'm not mm-hmm. an ethicist, and uh, a lot of ethicists have talked about systematic theologians as being inadequately aware of the ethical implications of what they're talking about, which is a fair comment. Mm-hmm. So it's that way round. I mean, uh, Stanley did the right thing in doing what he did. It's just that at some point, perhaps in order for me to and others perhaps to 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 see what to do with his work, as it were, in our own work, mm-hmm. uh, we need to uh, look at his work um, through our own spectacles, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's, it was never meant. My book is never meant as a criticism of his work as such. In this, I know it sounds like it, but it, it oh, sure. reads like it. Well, and but of course, I, the editor kind of gave you that title. Yes, yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I didn't want it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's uh, uh, no, it's not, it's just simply you know looking at it from a systematic theological perspective and saying, well, what would someone like Bart, you know, reading it? And obviously, I'm not a Bartian in that sense, but someone like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, with his interests, what would he say? And um, okay. that, that was the idea. All right, sounds good, sounds good. Well, moving forward, you know as well as I do that Harawas has been quite influential on a couple generations now of seminarians and students of theology. 
give our listeners some notion as you imagine things from your systematic theological perspective of how the best of Hauerwas's project should continue to shape theological work without carrying forward too many of his project's shortcomings. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, because it's, Stanley is still very much the, on the cutting edge of things, I think, and in, mm-hmm. in terms of what he's doing, uh, which is remarkable. Uh, you know, it keeps, keeps moving on. Sure. Although um, it's hard not to take the title of his most recent book, Approaching yeah. the End. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> As a sort of announcement, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, he's yeah, he's he's he continually modifies things. There was a book he put out with uh, uh, somebody else. I'm sorry, I can't remember that. Where he he dropped a whole bunch of things that uh, were very surprising. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, what's what's gonna? I think the the uh, the push that he's he's achieved within theological circles of all kinds mm-hmm. uh, towards practices uh, has been really important it's a it's a movement towards a recovery of the bodiliness or whatever of 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 being christian you know the fact that we're not just simply minds it's been so important and the fact that we are social beings all of that is is now i would say firmly ensconced in in most parts of of theology Mm-hmm. Um, it, it needs to be, of course, developed in various other ways. Perhaps we could be a little bit more aware of our materiality. Um, but uh, uh, that, that, I think, is the main um, thing that people will go on from. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that the style has been important. Um, it, it really has been useful to have someone who is so... Um, uh, not confident, but but so uh, un, unworried about just simply um, writing the way he does. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's been great to have to have that because um, although I have to say it irritates me at sometimes because it's, you know <laughs> you keep saying well okay but what but 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 sure. but but that's okay because it makes me say but but and it makes mm-hmm. me think and um, but to have people do that I think is so important. In other words, he's writing in a way popularly, but in a way that intrigues uh, theologians who um, are trying to work with the kind of things he's doing. And, and uh, I, hope that, I hope that continues. I hope there are people that come up who, who uh, can do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that blogs, actually, are one of the ways that um, uh, one can get trained in doing it, um, speaking in, in the, way, the kind of way that Howlass does, you know, a mixture of sermon and prophecy and, mm-hmm. and uh, good story and all those kinds of things together and focusing on the, on the, on the key point you know, of, of what it is to be Christian. Great stuff. Well, it's funny. I, I actually thought about that as you were talking, that you know, his uh, essay style sort of anticipates the theological yeah. blog as a genre. Yeah, yeah, very much, yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, that sort of strident confidence that you talk about uh, is still very, very different from someone who I would think of also as very strident and very confident, someone like a John Milbank, who is definitely writing for people, you know, who are steeped in continental philosophy. Um, it, it seems like Hauerwas's audience is a different sort of, a, a different range of people, if you will. Uh, so, I mean, how do, how do you see, you know, someone's work like Milbanks or even someone like David Bentley Hartz as relating to Hauerwas's legacy and influence? And I, and I realize I shouldn't talk about him like he's dead, but again, I, I think his last book got in my head. <laughs> yeah, another feeling, right. Um, well, I think the thing about, the, the great thing about Hauerwas is that he, he writes in ways that evangelicals can at least understand, even if they don't agree with. And fundamentalists and 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 uh, Protestant uh, left wing uh, Anabaptists and uh, groups of mm-hmm. of Christians who are Mennonites, of course, and all that. Groups of Christians that I don't think are Hart or Milbank probably get to quite so easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in some ways, what he's done is is brought. Um, uh, Yale or wherever uh, Yale and and Notre Dame and Duke to those the people out in uh, in the parishes in in the rest of America as it were mm-hmm. uh, to to listen to uh, and to hear something that is developing in those those uh, universities. Um, 
Pod is is and Milbank are you know they they're dealing with this broad sweep of things uh, in in rather different ways and they're both mm-hmm. wonderful. I read them with great pleasure. Uh, but if push comes to shove, I'd much prefer to read a, a couple of essays by Hal West than, <laughs> than a long book by them. Uh, mm-hmm. And Milbank is difficult, and uh, I don't know enough to disagree with him about Vico and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hart, um, uh, yeah, is the, the notion of beauty, which Stanley doesn't have much, yeah, he does a bit sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just a different approach to, to, it's a different transcendental, as it were, that he's working with. Uh, right. Although Hart is an interesting figure, because mm-hmm. on the one hand, you do have The Beauty of the Infinite, which is a very difficult book. Uh, I labored through it. But then on the other hand, he has books like uh, Atheist Delusions, which are very journalistic in style. So yeah. Yeah. He, he's one of those figures. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what his next book brings uh, every time there's one coming out because uh, he can write in you know what I think of as a sort of Harawazian register, uh, but he can also write the beauty of the infinite, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, much more von Balthasarian and uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, and I think uh, yeah, um, I I would say that uh, I don't think. Stanley would write a book against atheism in in the way that Hart did, mm-hmm. and um, I found I must admit I found Hart's book a little too um, confident, mm-hmm. uh, and um, because <laughs> and I think Stanley would too. You know, being an atheist is is uh, something we can fall into very easily, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think as I say, Stanley would would be aware of that at least, right. um, and would would approach the thing differently, less. Oddly enough, less confrontational, I think. I think Stanley's confrontational with bad Christians. He's not confrontational, and, and liberals who think a lot of about themselves, but not he's not confrontational with people who just simply can't believe. Mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, I think Hart's book is largely against liberal atheists rather than yeah. the Nietzschean strand, but, that, but the, this right, interview right. isn't about that book. It's about your book, so let me get back to <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what we're doing here. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the phrases that... Uh, I'll admit bugs me a little bit, but uh, it, it's one that's certainly stuck in my memory is that uh, uh, Christian blogger Tony Jones refers to a Hauerwazian mafia, uh, a sort of close-knit group of former grad students of Hauerwas and people who have read his books who you know, have a certain theological vision and who tend to close ranks when one of them is challenged. Uh, do you see... Stanley's legacy as leaving a sort of mafia behind him, or do you see it as being broader than that? Um, I think it's definitely broader. I mean, you say some, see someone like uh, Rusty Reno, who is um, influenced by Hal Wass, but mm-hmm. definitely thinks for himself. Um, uh, hopefully, I do the same, and um, and others too. There's certainly a group of people that um, that spend a lot of time with Hal Wass as graduate students, and they probably know his work. Uh, in a way that other people are not privileged to, and have sort of learned how to think a little bit more like him, and and um, I think that's a good thing, and we'll see what happens from it constructively. That's the the next step, I think, uh, mm-hmm. to show that um, if one is going to continue in the Hawassian line, you, you need to uh, um, to actually come up with some some major steps forward mm-hmm. um, uh, that that will take it in a different area, perhaps, or something like that. I don't see much of a mafia. I mean, uh, I had a look at some of the um, uh, the responses to the book. I mean, some are, you know, silly, and, <laughs> uh, you know, they obviously don't read it, but it's just one or two, and uh, they won't buy the, the people I know who are strongly connected with uh, Stanley, and uh, I mm-hmm. think uh, Michael Cartwright wrote a, a review, and he was very, very, uh, very reasonable, I think, in in his in his understanding of what I was trying to do, and and in his criticism of what I was doing. Um, yeah, I, you know, you're always going to get mafia. The Bartians were terrible back a few years ago, <laughs> you know, a few decades ago, and mm-hmm. uh, the Ranierians within the Catholic Church, and then the von Balthasarians, pretty strong now, um, though perhaps less so. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just what happened, I think, and then, and then. Um, the good Lord, uh, over time, um, helps us to get beyond that. I like that. I like that. 
Well, I've been setting the agenda for most of today's conversation, but in the spirit of hospitality, I'm going to ask you to speak the final word here. Uh, what would you want our listeners to hear about this book that they haven't heard so far? Uh, take whatever time you want. The listeners are yours. Yeah. Uh, I guess that when they read it, um, I hope that they do not take this as a kind of an attack on Stanley at all. Uh, as I say, I've never met him, but um, he um, he he um, is clearly a, um, as I said, a prince of the church, and this is not meant to 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 try to demolish him or anything silly like that. The point of the book is only to to take a look at House's work, as I said, from a systematic theological point of view. And it's, of course, one among many. I'm, I happen to be a Roman Catholic with Bartian tendencies, but there, there, there are many other ways of approaching Hauas. The, the, the key is, I think, that what I tried to do is be critical, but to take him as seriously as I could. And to do that, I had to take him as, as writing some kind of systematic theology. I mean, what, mm-hmm. what did what he said apply to systematics? And, and um, uh, in some ways, I think what I've learned from the book is sufficient so that I will still always be working with with Hawass's thought as I go on to my more constructive work. I'm writing a book on the Christian life and on um, on the church, the combination thereof. Um, and Hawass um, um, is is influential throughout what I've what I've been working on so far. So um, I hope people understand that. Um, uh, that when they see something and dis- they disagree with, that's fine. Of course, I'm not going to read him perfectly, uh, but um, I I do read him. I hope with care, and when I don't read him with care, uh, or it may appear so, it's to try to get something out there to discuss rather than to simply cri- criticize. I want people to discuss Stanley's work because it's very much worth discussing and taking further. Very good. Okay. Well, this has been a good talk. I want to thank you on behalf of Christian Humanist Profiles and the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, this has been Dr. Nicholas M. Healy talking about the book, Hauerwas, A Very Critical Introduction from Erdman's. It's from the Intervention Series. And I would recommend this whole series, but especially this volume, to all of our listeners. Thank you, Dr. Healy, for coming on. Thank you very much. It's been great. And thank you, listeners, for listening to Christian Humanist Profiles.